After week 16, the Titans currently hold the seventh overall pick in the 2024 NFL Draft. We are going to briefly touch on the Seahawks game, but then we're going to get into what the Titans can do this offseason to rebuild this team and compete next year. This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media in partnership with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver, and with me, as always, is Justin Mello and Justin. The Titans did their best to ruin our Christmas on Christmas (laughs) Eve when they took a late lead against Seattle, but luckily... They had the exact poor defense that they needed on the Seahawks' final drive, and Ryan Tannehill taking two major sacks on the last-ditch effort for the Titans to go tie the game or take the lead uh, failed, and so the Titans gave us all a Christmas present with a loss. If you're still out there rooting for the Titans to win now that they are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs and don't even have Will Levis in the game at quarterback, what's the point? What are you rooting for? I would love people who are on that side of the fence to let us know in the comments below, make sure you're subscribed to the channel, the Music City Audible podcast. Justin, takeaways from the Seahawks game that the Titans fell 20 to 17. Well, first of all, I'm with you because I'm typically not a big root for a loss guy. I, I'm really not. But at some point, you just have to admit what makes sense, right? Like even that final drive. And it felt weird for me watching that final drive, like hoping that the Seahawks were going to get in the end zone and not being upset when they were completing big passes, getting uh, chunks of yardage, moving down the field. And then certainly when the Titans got the ball back, I thought, you know, for a second there, it looked like they were going to get in field goal range, maybe tie that game, send it to overtime. They certainly had that one big play that got them to the, I think their own 40, 45 yard line approximately. I go, wow, they're probably going to go down and get a chance to tie this game. And then I really just laughed in all honesty when, when Ryan Tannehill took the sack. It just felt like it ended right there on the first sack. Uh, certainly yeah. it was like wow how embarrassing the one thing you just really can't have in this situation you're gonna take a sack and held on to the ball for a long time right I, I haven't seen the all 22 view of it but protection held up for quite a while certainly enough time to get the ball out of your hands you'd like to think at least throw it away right certainly enough time to throw it away and not take a sack um we're not going to spend time on this game like you said our listeners our viewers they don't care about it we get it that's blunt of us but it's true um, the one thing I'll say in defense of Mike Vrabel is um, you see a team that continues to play hard for him. You see a team that went into this game after putting Jeffrey Simmons on IR, a couple linebackers on IR, Christian Fulton's already on there, Amani Hooker's already on there. Like a, a team going into this matchup, I mean, I said it in a, in a group chat with us. Um, you're counting on Trey Avery and, and, and Eric Garrard to cover DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. You've got yeah. Andrew Rupsich, a second-year you know, UDFA at right guard, who was just elevated onto the 53-man roster days before. Bit of a minor surprise, I think they went with him over Calvin Throckmorton, who had been playing um, when right. Daniel Brunskill was injured. But essentially, so shorthanded, offensively, defensively, so shorthanded, had no business even competing in this game. I'll be <laughs> honest, I don't want to give the Titans all the credit, because going into it, I didn't say it out loud, but I thought to myself, you know, Seahawks coming off a short week, 
uh, a Monday Night Football win, a very emotional win over the Philadelphia Eagles, a team they're underdogs against. Bit of a trap game, right? Coming to a team in Tennessee on the road, a team they should beat on a short week. So I'm not surprised they were, there was a bit of a lull for the Seahawks there in the beginning when you think of that historically. But just credit to Mike Vrabel that he, these guys are even competing, I think, at this point, that they were in this game, uh, could have won it. Uh, vintage Derrick Henry performance, by the way. I thought he looked really, really good. Probably a sense of pride for him after that you know, historically poor performance against the Texans, at least historically poor numbers, right, from a st- statistic standpoint. So tip of the cap to Derrick Henry. I thought he looked really good in this game, uh, certainly throwing another touchdown, the fourth touchdown of his career. Uh, it's crazy. And I thought he ran the ball well, looked decisive, looked quick, got in and out of his cuts. Um, so hats off to him. But uh, other than that, I don't really have any takeaways. Yeah, I'll throw a few out there. First of all, the Titans drive down the field. So they get the ball down uh, 13 to 10 with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. They they mount a 15-play, 75-yard drive, taking 8 minutes and 49 seconds off the clock, ending with a Derrick Henry two-yard touchdown run. This drive started with Ryan Tannehill taking a sack, so they overcome a six-yard loss on the first play of the drive. Later in the drive, they find themselves in third and four, run it with Tajay Spears, and end up in fourth and one from the Seattle 27. Go for it. So they had to overcome a six-yard loss on a first down, a fourth and one. And then towards the end of the drive, they actually fall all the way back to the Seattle 32-yard line after a Dylan Radins false start that puts them in second and 17. And they are able to overcome that with a defensive pass interference committed against DeAndre Hopkins that sets them up for that go-ahead score. Pretty impressive drive for a team, like you said, playing with backups on the offensive line. No Nick Westbrook-Akina either. They're, I mean, is for better or worse, basically their wide receiver two on the season. Um, to go march down the field and get that drive, you're, you're 100% right when you say that this team, like any thought that Mike Vrabel has lost the locker room or anything like that, I think we can shut that talk down. Mike Vrabel will be the head coach of the Titans in 2024. There's, I have zero doubts about that. Rand Carthon will be the general manager. Though that he should be and he will be, and those two guys will will be in charge of rebuilding this Titans team. But I want to do also shout out Trey Avery for committing two defensive penalties against uh, Seattle receivers on that their final drive that allowed them to get down the field and score the go ahead touchdown. Titans tried their hardest. I mean, they had they even tackled Zach Charbonnet for a three yard loss on second and goal to set up that third and goal touchdown from the five. Like they they played their butts off. The all the rotational guys on the defensive line playing hard. Um, but one other big thing coming out of this game, I think, and this is something we touched on last week. Jalen Duncan, another rough outing had to leave the game with a wrist injury, and who replaces him but Andre Dillard, which was a little interesting because John Ajukwu was active for the, and available for this game, I think for the, maybe the first time this season, and he was a guy that got a lot of hype early on in training camp, suffered an injury, and then was sort of out of the mix for either of the tackle jobs, but a guy that, as a UDFA, had a little bit more excitement, I think, than your typical UDFA, he didn't get the chance to come in and play instead the guy that they're likely going to cut in a couple weeks' time was instead given the chance to come back in at left tackle. I don't know if that was a chance to maybe put him out there and get some tape for maybe a, a trade for a late-round pick, or if they cut him and he signed somewhere else, give him a chance just to like get another job. And then I'll let you comment on Jalen Duncan and, and the Andre Dillard situation, and then I got one more. 
Well, Dillard pitched a shutout, by the way, apparently, according to Pro he Football did. Focus. So it probably played his best game of the season in limited action, funny enough. Uh, uh, Ajoku did play, I think, somewhere between 12 to 15 snaps, snaps excuse me, as a sixth eligible tackle. So in jumbo packages, he was inserted into the game on occasion. Uh, think back to the Will Levis-Malik Willis situation. I'm not shocked that they felt Andre Dillard was better prepared to enter a game cold. You know, a veteran mm. guy that's, you know, played a lot of football in his career, played a lot of football for the Titans this season. Where things get interesting is next weekend, if Duncan doesn't heal in time, who do you go with? With a week to prepare, do you give John Ujoku his first career start? That's what I'm rooting for, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. they got to see all the tackles they, they have, really. Uh, so I'd like to see him uh, if Duncan's not able to heal. I don't have a lot to say about Duncan. It just you know sort of continuing the downwards trajectory. He hasn't played well lately was uh, honestly a nightmare in this game until he was removed due to injury. Uh, continues putting that question to bed, right? That he's not a starting caliber <laughs> tackle right now. You can't feel comfortable going into next season, penciling him into a starting role. Swing tackle, absolutely. You keep working with him. You keep developing him behind the scenes. He's got a, a, a maybe even, you'd say, a good chance to make the 53-man roster next season. But by no by no means necessary do you consider him a potential starter. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's where you're at. You know you need a left tackle. It's a good place to be. Like, and obviously right you'd tackle. rather... And a right tackle. Obviously, you'd rather Jalen Duncan have like seized the the opportunity here and proven himself to be a draft gem found in the sixth round, but that's not the case. We can stop being biasly optimistic there and just say, you know what? We don't have a left tackle on this roster and we don't have a right tackle. So you know what you have to attack in the offseason. It's better than being left in the questionable wonderland. But I also want to talk about Ryan Tannehill in this game because getting the chance now to see Ryan Tannehill command this offense again after watching Will Levis for eight games Man, the different like I I knew yeah. when Will Levis first started playing that it was like wow this guy's got something that Ryan Tannehill didn't have and that granted that was his best game probably the Falcons game where he threw four touchdowns and he looked you know he was attacking downfield and just you know looked in total control for a rookie in his first start but having seen him you know more recently when he struggled a bit more than he did in that game just such a stark difference and now you look ahead to the offseason and you wonder like is Ryan Tannehill is somebody going to sign Ryan Tannehill for a chance to be a starter next offseason? I don't think so. I mean, he maybe he gets a chance to compete, right? It ultimately depends on how the quarterback picture shakes out. Every year, there's so many teams that need to add a competitive quarterback, and there's only so many of those around, right, in, in truth. So we'll see what how, how it ends up. All I'm going to say about your comment is it's a positive. It's, it's a good thing yeah. for a Titans fan that you saw such a downgrade, in all honesty, when, when Ryan Tannehill comes into the lab. Imagine Derrick Henry doesn't run the ball effectively, how much worse the offense looks in this game. And it didn't look great. They didn't score a ton of points, right, by any stretch of the imagination. So imagine how much worse it looks if they require Tannehill to do the heavy lifting in this game. So it's a positive. Will Levis comes in, uh, stronger arm, taking more shots downfield. A bit more escapability, although Tannehill did have an explosive run in this game. Um, certainly, uh, you should feel good uh, uh, about it. You feel even better, I think, about Will Levis after seeing Ryan Tannehill in this game. Absolutely. So let's spin this forward now. As I mentioned at the top, the Titans currently hold the seventh overall pick. And before we get into like needs or how the Titans can use this pick in the draft, granted, this is way before free agency, before yeah. all the roster cuts and changes that are coming this offseason. But I think 
this is a rare exception where normally we're like, well, we need to wait and see how free agency impacts their needs going into the draft. I think this is one of those instances where we can say free agency isn't going to impact their needs going into the draft because their needs are left tackle, right tackle, maybe, you know, a starter starting caliber player at right guard, maybe a starting caliber player at center to replace guys that are like league average that you have now in Daniel Brunskill and Aaron Brewer. They definitely need a left tackle. They definitely need a right tackle and they definitely need wide receiver help. I do think there are going to be possibly wide receivers to hit the free agent market, although those guys may end up being franchise tagged or re-signing with the team that has them now just because this is a playmaker's league these days and you need guys, you need multiple weapons on the outside that you can count on. So guys like Mike Evans, guys like Michael Pittman Jr., T. Higgins, like those are probably your top three receivers that are set to be free agents. There is a, a least 50%, if not higher, chance that all those guys end up back with their current teams. And even if you think the Bengals can't afford long-term contracts for Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, there's still a scenario where they franchise tag Higgins and say, let's give it one more season while we, I don't know, draft a receiver and get him up to speed for a year. And then we let T. Higgins walk and and uh, and then the, whoever the new guy is steps into his spot. Or with Mike Evans, it could be like, we want to keep Mike Evans in Tampa Bay for his career because he's just been such a consistent rock and they may have a new rookie quarterback or even if it's Baker Mayfield, like giving him the weapons they need. So all that to say, we'll look ahead to free agency, but I do think the draft is actually going to be like what we talk about with the draft right now, while the players may change, you know, how we think of the players throughout the process may change. The Titans team needs, I really don't think for the top two are going to change. So before we get into all that though, I want to get to the draft order. Titans, as I said, picking seventh. Now, how can they get to the top five? Because I still think it's possible. Mathematically, it's still possible for them to get to three, although that would require Washington and New England winning a game, Tennessee losing out, obviously, and then Tennessee getting their strength of schedule to be easier than Washington and New England. So of the teams picking in the top seven right now, the there's basically no chance that they get to number one or two with Carolina and Arizona. I mean, mathematically, they could technically, but it would require Arizona winning out. And then Arizona does actually have a harder strength of schedule. But everyone below them, Washington at three, New England at four, the Giants at five, the Chargers at six, all of them currently have easier strength of schedules than the Titans. So what that means is for the next two weeks, in these last two weeks of the season, all the teams that the Titans have played so far this year, you want them to lose to make the Titans' strength of schedule easier. And all these teams that they're you know tied with or, or next to in the draft order, Washington, New England, the Giants, the Chargers, every opponent that they've played so far this year, you want to win. Now there's going to be some conflict in there. It's not going to be a perfect scenario for every game played. But ideally, more teams that the Titans have played will lose and more teams that those other teams have played will win. That can push the Titans up the draft order. Obviously, the easiest path to the fifth pick is the Giants and the Chargers get to six wins and the Titans stay at five. That's going to be mildly difficult looking at the schedules for those two teams. The Giants play the Eagles again in the last week of the season. So obviously, nobody's expect. I mean, they, they played them pretty close. And maybe if Philadelphia is resting, guys, they have a chance. And they maybe. play the Rams next week. So there is a there is a chance that the Giants, you know, especially with Tyrod Taylor now apparently being the starting quarterback again after Tommy DeVito was benched on Christmas Day, you could see a scenario where the Giants win a game. And then for the Chargers, the Chargers play the Broncos and the Chiefs in the next two games. Chiefs have been struggling a lot. Broncos, you know, struggled also on on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve night, I should say. Lost to the and Patriots. um <laughs> lost to the Patriots who were a bad team. Look, there's a chance the Chargers with interim head coach Giff Smith, who, you know, they played a really competitive game against a good Buffalo Bills team. 
there is a chance that one of these teams gets to six wins. If they don't get to six wins, then it's all down to strength of schedule. Right now, the Titans and the Chargers are tied in strength of schedule. Strength of schedule is the first draft order tiebreaker. Even when there's only two teams tied at the same spot, strength of schedule is the first draft order tiebreaker. And then it goes to head-to-head record. So the Titans win over the Chargers early in this season could come back to bite them. Now, there is a positive side to this, and that's that the Giants and the Chargers, if you're saying the Titans need to draft a left tackle in the first round, the Giants and the Chargers both have a franchise left tackle or someone that they drafted recently that they believe in that you would think would preclude them from drafting a tackle. However, Justin, right tackle is becoming just as big of a need in this league as left tackle. So if one of these two teams sees Ola Fashanu or Joe Alt moving to the right side or the current guy that they have on the roster moving to the right side, perhaps they could be in the mix to take a tackle out from the Titans' grasp? Yeah, I don't think we can just sit here and say they're definitely not going to take a tackle and move them to the right side. Number one, teams do dumb stuff all the time, right? Like it's that, you know, I I don't love doing that, but teams do that all the time. And both of them, like Evan Neal has been an absolute disaster at right tackle for the New York Giants. They look like they're ready to move on immediately, right? Or even kick Evan Neal inside. And then for the Chargers, I think it's Trey Pipkins is the right tackle. It's not really a starting caliber right tackle either, right? So like there's a, both teams need tackles still. So I, I would not be shocked and Joe Alt, Olufushanu being premium prospects, outstanding prospects. I don't know that they're going to sit there and say, well, you know, we really need a right tackle, like really badly. There are two tackles in this draft that are outstanding A plus prospects. Uh, but I don't, I don't know that they can play right tackle, so we're not going to draft them. I don't think we can count on that happening by any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah, they've got very good left tackles, but unfortunately they don't have right tackles. So <laughs> I, I think they'd still be in the mix to take a guy that you want there in Tennessee. Right. So there is a way the Titans can get to, like I said, the number three pick. If the Commanders win against either San Francisco or Dallas, they could get good to luck. five wins. But again, strength of schedule is going to play a tiebreaker role there, and the Titans don't currently have the advantage against the Commanders. And then New England is the other team. The Patriots play at Buffalo and versus New York Jets. I could see a scenario where the Patriots beat the Jets pretty easily. If the Bills go on to win out this season, that would increase the the Patriots' strength of schedule. If the Titans' opponents, again, continue to lose, that would lower the Titans. So there is a, a way. The Patriots' winning was, you know, I had the Broncos winning over the Patriots as our preferred path to the playoffs, but the Patriots winning is actually not a bad thing if they can get one more win and tie the Titans. Again, you need the Titans opponents to really help them out here by losing so that the Titans strength of schedule. Titans somehow had the hardest strength of schedule of all these teams in the top seven outside of Arizona. So I don't know how, how that even happened, but um, the Titans themselves, they play at Houston next week. Then they play at home against Jacksonville to close out the season. The good news is all... All four AFC South teams lost on uh, this in week 16. So Houston and Jacksonville both still very much have a lot to play for in terms of a playoff spot. Houston is currently on the outside looking in. Jacksonville currently sits at the top of the AFC South, but they are tied with Houston and Indy. And the only reason they're there is because of the division record tiebreaker. So if Jacksonville loses to Tennessee, either Houston or Indy could pass them for the AFC South lead. So both these teams will have a lot to play for. Titans just need to go 0-2. If the Titans win one of these last two games, which of course is not out of the question, especially the way Jacksonville's playing right now, Houston, you expect C.J. Stroud will be back this weekend. You hope Will Levis is back so you get the Stroud versus Levis battle, but if not, you uh, you feel good about Houston's chances to win that game. Jacksonville has been struggling so much that 
I could totally see the Titans playing spoiler on their season and and knocking them out of the playoffs or at least out of the division lead in week 18, the same way the Jags have done to the Titans in the past. Um, so I definitely could see that scenario playing out, but you still think that Jacksonville has a better team with a lot more on the line to play for than the Titans in week 18. However, if the Titans do win one of these two games, they will still be a guaranteed to be picking in the top nine because of the Raiders' victory on, on Monday. The Titans will have a top nine pick regardless of what else happens as long as they don't win both games. If they win both of their last two games, they likely fall out of the top 10, which would be a huge mistake in my opinion. I do think that, you know, we talk about how the draft is a crapshoot and the order doesn't matter and you should root for your teams and blah, blah, blah. But I do think the difference between a top eight pick in this draft class and a top 13 pick is huge for, you know, the Titans' ability to turn things around quickly. That doesn't mean they can't find a good player in the top 13 that they, you know, they wouldn't be able to get in the top eight or whatever, but the ability to be able to draft one of these two tackles. And I think that's where we should take this conversation next here as we look at what the Titans are going to do in the draft. Philosophically, I mentioned that this was going to be a conversation like a month ago, probably when the Bengals had the fifth pick in the draft and it was, you can take Panay Sewell or you can take Jamar Chase. What should the Bengals do? And a lot of people thought they should take an offensive lineman. Other people thought they should take the wide receiver. Now, I don't know if Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be there, but Malik Neighbors is a guy that would be wide receiver one in a lot of draft classes. You're probably going to have to choose between Malik Neighbors and probably one of these two tackles, assuming things go well and the Titans end up where they want to be in the draft order. The philosophical discussion of should you take the offensive tackle first or should you take the dynamic playmaker first? And it's really interesting in this particular draft class, Justin, because the two positions that have the most strength or most most depth i would say in this class right now it looks like are going to be the tackles and the wide receivers so if you do forego one of those two positions in the first round you'd say well we'll probably be able to get a good one at the top of the second round especially if the titans do end up in the top eight that gives them two top 40 picks you'd think no matter which way you go it's going to be it's going to work out in the second round for the other position right well how do you what do you think the Titans, is there, like, I know it's still super early in the process, but is there a direction that you feel strongly the Titans should go with that first pick that sets them up for what to do in the second round? I do, and I've got a lot of thoughts on this topic. First thing I'll say is, when that whole Bengals thing was going on, I was team Jamar Chase for them. I I thought Mm. that made more sense than, than Penny Sewell. But that was also a bit of a unique situation, right? The relationship with Joe Burrow, uh, that was in place. And I also thought that that Jamar Chase, I know people hate this term. I do use it a little bit. I thought Jamar Chase was sort of generational. Like I thought he was that good. I thought he was outstanding, outstanding prospect. I didn't have any negatives in his game. Truthfully, I, I really didn't. So um, it's funny though. Now that, you know, I had no emotional attachment to the Cincinnati Bengals. So it was easy for me to make that decision and say, I'm team Jamar Chase. I'm having a bit harder time when it comes to the Titans, I guess, because of the emotional attachment and how much more invested you are. I will say if it comes down to Malik neighbors or one of the tackles, I don't think Malik neighbors is generational. I love Malik neighbors. I'm a huge fan of him as a prospect. The Titans need a tackle so bad. That's a non-conversation for me. It is a conversation when it's actually a generational prospect like Marvin Harrison jr. Is. So I think if it's Marvin Harrison Jr. or offensive tackle, that to me is a lot more difficult of a conversation than it is with Malik Neighbors or one of the top two offensive tackles. So that's my first thought on that subject. Secondly, um, there's no doubt in my mind that you want to set yourself up well in the second round. 
how often do we see good wide receivers go in the second round? Pretty frequently, right? I mean, you can go back to the Titans drafting A.J. Brown. You can look at that whole draft class. I know that year's a bit of an, uh, an extreme example, but D.K. Metcalf, Debo Samuel, and it happens. It happens all the time. I'm a, I don't know why this just came to mind, but Michael Thomas, the New Orleans Saints, was a second-round pick. Like, good receivers go in the second round all the time. That's not as how true about, when it comes to tackles. How about how about two of the free agents in this year's class that may or may not hit the market in Michael Pittman Jr. and T. Higgins, both, exactly. both early second round And picks. they were both taken in the range where the Titans would be picking in the second round, right? And now I look at this class specifically, as you said, it's deep at tackle, it's deep at wide receiver, but at tackle, yeah, it's deep. Don't get me wrong, but you still want to get one of those premium guys. Like the tackles that are going to be available to you. In, and I think like, six or seven tackles could go in the first round. And I don't think that's crazy, right? Based on how deep this class is. And there's like nine of them. When we say it's deep, by the way, there's like nine of them that people really like that'll probably be in most top 50s big boards that you see. So, but after those nine, you know, it's going to fall off quite a bit. So how many of those guys are going to get to the second round? Not a lot of them, maybe two or three of them, in my opinion, especially when you're, you're not going to have the first or second pick of the second round. When I look at receiver, I feel very differently. I think there's going to be quite a few of them that could get to the Titans' second round pick. I look at the two Texas receivers. You're a hook'em guy, right? AD, Adonai uh, Mitchell is a guy that I think is very intriguing that could get there to the second round. I think Xavier Worthy, who, by the way, I would normally be scared of, but I think he fits the Titans like a glove right now because of Will Levis's uh, penchant for throwing the deep ball. I think that's a really good fit. I look at the raw guy at LSU, the number two receiver opposite Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas Jr. He's a very intriguing guy that could absolutely get um, to the early to mid portion of the second round. Then there are more of them. I think uh, Xavier Leggett, who reminds a lot of people of A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel, the way he's more so Debo, the way he's built like 6'3", 227. He's super dense. You get the ball in his hands. Like There are so many receivers that I think will make it to the second round that the Titans could Troy take. Franklin is... The Oregon receiver Troy Franklin is another guy who another made a lot that, of plays this year. Probably going to get there, uh, or is going to be in that range. There are so many of them, as I just said. I don't feel that way about tackle as deep as it is. Maybe the the kid from Arizona, Jordan Morgan, gets there. Uh, the kid from Houston, Patrick Paul. The kid from BYU. I don't want to butcher the name. Uh, uh, I believe it's pronounced Kingsley Suamatia. He could get there. I'm a big fan of the Oregon State guy, Talais Fuaga. I don't, you know, I'm really, really big fan of his. I'm going to be higher on him, I think, than most. I think he's a first-round pick, but I don't rule out maybe he gets to the late 20s, early 30s. But ultimately, um, unless you're choosing between Marvin Harrison Jr. and the tackles, this is a really easy decision for me. It's Joe Alt or Olu Fashanu. Now, if it's Malik Neighbors or, say, J.C. Latham, the Alabama kid, that's also a difficult decision, I think. Uh, a bit more difficult, certainly, than, than neighbors are one of the top tackles. But for me, the path forward is simple. If Marvin Harrison Jr. is not there, which he shouldn't be, Titans aren't going to get to three or four. I know you said it's possible. I don't see that happening. The Washington Commanders are an absolute dumpster fire. They are not beating the San Francisco 49ers or the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't think New England's beating the Buffalo Bills. They have a chance against the Jets, I agree. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think Mar Marvin Harrison should not get past third or fourth overall. It'd be crazy if he did. Uh, ultimately, I think the path forward is is pretty clear. It's tackle uh, in the first round and then receiver in the second. And by the way, though, I, I do want to say, and I know you didn't mean it fully, but I do disagree with you to a degree that free agency, it, it is going to impact what they do. Certainly, it might impact what they do in the second round. 
And, uh, you know, for and for example, if it is the Malik Neighbors or J.C. Latham decision, which it might be, they might be able to get a right tackle in free agency. And then um, that impacts the decision because it's, I mean, Trent Brown, there are a couple of guys that might be available that can play that spot. Uh, Michael Onwenu from the Patriots can play right tackle. So, uh, Hell, bring Chris Hubbard back. He could play right tackle for yeah, one I mean, season Chris while Hubbard, you rebuild. Ex- exactly, right? So I, I do think free agency is going to impact what they do in the draft. I agree it might. it's not likely to impact their decision in the first round because I still lean left tackle. That's probably what you meant, right? I lean left tackle in the first yeah. round. You're not going to get a left tackle in free agency, but you might get a receiver. You might get a corner. You might get a right tackle. That's where I think it impacts their draft plans. But right now, I think the path forward, based on what they need, based on how the draft is probably going to set up, based on how free agency is probably going to play out, it's left tackle in the first round wide receiver in the second. Yeah, that is what I meant. I'm That free agency won't impact their number one top need because yeah, no matter who's on the market, you know, the Titans could sign the best left tackle on the market. You're still not going to get a guy that you feel great about as a franchise cornerstone left tackle moving forward. And I want to reference an article that Mike Herndon wrote for Paul Kuharski's website last week talking about how the Titans can build an offensive line that will be able to be you know, competitive because they tried to build one this, this offseason, adding four new starters, and they just failed basically across the board. I'm not across the board, but at the major position of left tackle, they absolutely failed. So um, Mike did a little research study into looking at PFF's top 30 rated tackles. And granted, that's, you know, Take it with a grain of salt because it's BFF. But when you're talking top 30, I think it's a pretty good measure. And just looking at how these guys were acquired by the teams who have them currently on their team. And the path forward, if you want to really, I mean, obviously the draft is a crapshoot. And there's guys that teams draft to be their franchise left tackle every year who completely bust and, are you know, end up not being guys that are good. And I don't want to throw the extreme example out there, but... <clears throat> Isaiah Wilson. So we're also talked about the Giants already moving on from Evan yeah. Neal, who they picked seventh overall. I know they put him at right tackle, but that's because they had a franchise left tackle in Andrew yeah. Thomas already. But that, that two years and they're ready to move on from a top 10 pick at tackle. Exactly. So now, so I'm saying all this to say, like, obviously, I still acknowledge the very real possibility that the tackle you draft, even in the top 10, could completely bust and, and ruin your plans. But it's also true if you go sign a guy like Andre Dillard, who you think you can count on to be your left tackle, and he is the worst left tackle in the league. I mean, or the odds that the Titans a, sign a the worst left example, tackle in the league again. Sorry, not to tell you up, but, but a better <laughs> example is probably the contract uh, the Broncos gave Mike McGlinchey in free agency. He was exactly. making like $87 million and has been a disaster at right tackle for them this season. Right. So, yeah, that's a great point because the Titans got, you know, they made a a good signing with Andre Dillard in terms of the money that they didn't handicap themselves going forward the way the Broncos did with McGlinch. I mean, that's a contract that is going to eat salary cap that they can't really get out of before, what, two or three years into it. That's still going to leave behind a lot of dead cap when they do eventually try to get out of it. So at least if you go the draft route it's a cheaper option and like you, you forego some draft capital to take that guy and the chance to pick somebody else, obviously, but at least it doesn't handicap your whole cap situation. Mike's study found that 15 out of the top 30 tackles on pro football focus were selected in the first round. And of those 13, I believe eight, six to eight, somewhere in the six to eight range were top 10 picks. So 15 out of 30, half of the top 30 tackles in the NFL were first round were acquired by their team via first round pick. Now, two of those guys were actually acquired via trade, them being Laramie Tunsil and Trent Williams, the 49ers. 
were acquired by trade, but they were first round picks before that they were acquired by trade to begin with. So 15 guys picked in the first round. Now, I know we just talked about a bunch of successes at wide receiver. When it comes to the second round, five of the top 30 guys were picked in the second round. And the Titans have undergone their own day two failures very recently. When you look at Dylan Radins, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, like the Titans have tried to wait till after day one to get their starting tackle. And it has not worked out. Now, again, that doesn't mean it will work out picking one in the first round. But I think this all just adds, you know, it, it all is a pieces of the pie, right? It's not like one reason is the reason you do anything, but after everything that you said about why they should take a tackle in the first, and then you look at the history of guys who succeed and where they were drafted by their teams, it just all signs point to they really should attack that tackle position in the first round. Now, granted, it definitely matters who's available. It definitely matters how you're, you know, when you bring this guy in to visit with your team, what you think of his mental makeup and ability to succeed and work hard, pick up the offense and all those things and continue to improve and be someone you can be relied on as a franchise left tackle. Like the character side of it is obviously huge. And if it is a case where Olaf Ashanu and Joe Alt are both gone, let's say the Titans do end up winning one of these last two games and picking eighth or ninth in the draft, and they don't have a chance at one of these top two tackles, I think the conversation changes a little bit, like you said. But I do think for now, we could probably safely assume for now, and we'll reevaluate after week 18, obviously. For now, I think it's pretty likely the Titans end up with a top six or seven pick. And that one of these two tackles is on the board when they pick, given the needs of the teams ahead of them and the fact that we're going to have trades up for quarterbacks and there's going to be guys that rise up the board through the draft process who we're not talking about at all right now who could end up being, you know, top eight picks. All those factors into play. I think we are looking at an Olaf Ashanu or Joe Alt versus a Malik Neighbors situation. And I think that as exciting of a player and prospect as Malik Neighbors is, when you talk about drop-off, which you were talking about, the drop-off from the first round top 10 pick tackles to the guys that'll be there at the top of the second round compared to like neighbors to an Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell, Troy Franklin, all these guys we just talked about. I just think that you will be able to find a solid playmaker in the second round and possibly have a top 10 tackle in the league if you pick one of these other guys in the first round versus having like a top 15 receiver, top 20 receiver, just because there's so many good receivers, it's hard to crack the top 15 or 20. And then you have what a league average or maybe a little below league average as a rookie left tackle that you pick in the second round. I just think the, the philosophy there is that the Titans really should. And I know it's super early to like make declarative statements about what the Titans should do. But I think at this point, as we sit here and evaluate things, the Titans should go tackle in the first round and then top whatever whoever the top receiver on their board that they think fits their offense in the second round and i do just want to push back a little bit on xavier worthy if he runs a 4-3 he's going in the first round but we'll see how that shakes out (laughs) he could and should but i mean i I thought we said that about Jalen hyatt last year and he ran you know ran pretty quick and he still got out of it so and worthy there will be other concerns with size and injuries and hand size i think and, and and as well so we'll see but uh but he could go in the first round i'm not saying he won't but um uh, another thing on that tackle point, by the way, I think it, it, people know this, it goes without saying, but Laramie Tunsil was 13th overall pick and would have gone a lot earlier, if not for that draft day, you know, weird video. And Trent Williams was the number four overall pick in his class. And both of those guys were traded under pretty strange, unique circumstances, right? Williams had like a, a issue with the way his injury was handled in Washington and, and forced his way out, essentially. So 
uh, yeah, you, you, you take top tackles at the top, right? That that's why it's one of the three only it's, I say this every year. It's an old mantra. I still live by it. It's one of only three positions that can go number one overall. No other position can go number one overall. What was the last time we saw it? It is always a quarterback an offensive tackle or an edge rusher all the damn time. They go. Why? Cause I, again, it's another old mantra. I always say it. Why? Cause they're the only three positions that really impact the quarterback, right? You're either the quarterback, you're either hitting the quarterback or you're protecting the quarterback. It's not about covering or not throw a guy that can catch for No, it's about the quarterback protecting them and hitting them. It's those three things. And that's why they go number one overall. Exactly. So yeah, positional value definitely plays a, a factor here. No doubt about it. And you know, any mock draft that has a Titans taking an edge rusher in the top 10, disregard it immediately. Any mock draft that has a Titans taking a cornerback in the top 10, disregard it immediately. Sure, the Titans could use a high-quality edge rusher. Sure, they could use a high-quality cornerback, a blue-chip prospect at one of those two positions, but not this year. This is not the year after the offensive line struggles that we've seen for multiple years in a row now. This team has to get the offensive line right before they will be able to do anything you know, be able, before they can compete for the division and try to make the playoffs and try to make a Super Bowl run. Like, defense obviously is not unimportant, but offense is way more important. And we see it every Sunday. The team with the best offensive line usually has the best shot to win a game. Now, if you have a generational prospect at quarterback like a Patrick Mahomes or somebody who is just exceptionally good at navigating pressure like a Joe Burrow, sure, maybe you can survive a season with a subpar offensive line. But look at Joe Burrow. He's out for the year because his player, his team couldn't protect him. His offensive line couldn't protect him. It has. He tore his ACL a few years ago. And this year with the wrist surgery, whatever the heck's going on, the mystery wrist injury he suffered. Um, and they've tried. They've tried to rebuild that offensive line. They've drafted guys. They've signed guys every year. It's a, the hardest thing to do. And you look across the NFL. I've seen tweets from so many different fan bases talking about how this is a deep tackle class and how so-and-so team has to come out of the first round with a tackle. Look, every team needs good offensive linemen. Even the teams that have good offensive lines are going to look to bolster the one weak spot that they have or to replenish the depth or to prepare for a guy leaving in free agency or whatever. Like every single team needs offensive linemen. And that is ultimately why it's super important that the Titans don't win these last two games, that they get as high in the draft order as they can, that they have the, the first crack or the sixth, seventh crack to take an offensive lineman, you got to assume two, if not three, if not four, maybe, probably two quarterbacks go in the top seven. So you're really competing against what five other teams. Marvin Harrison Jr. is definitely going to be one of those guys. So you got, that's why we've been saying top five basically guarantees you Olafashanu yes. or Joe Alt. Top seven gives you a good shot at them, but it's definitely not a guarantee. But it, it, it is just it so me. important. It does. It scares me too. It scares me. It scares me more than it's scaring everyone else. Because I I get the notion where people are saying, "Oh, like someone else will grab someone else." Like I I get that, right? Like it'd have to all go against you. But I'm like, they're the best players in the draft by far. Like in terms of at that spot, they're the best players in the draft. And it's not going to be a. I I don't think quarterback three. After all, a quarterback. I don't think quarterback three is going to go that high. I don't. So after Drake made Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr., I'm like. Yeah, it's Joe Alt and Olu Fashanu, or it should be, right? Like, the wild cards are Malik Neighbors, Edge 1, Corner 1, although this is a weak class at Edge and Corner. So more so Malik Neighbors, Brock Bowers. Hey, the right tackle at Alabama is outstanding. He's outstanding. So 
if I were to make a bold t- prediction right now, you're the Giants, you're the Chargers, you're picking in front of the Titans, you do want a natural right tackle. It wouldn't shock me if their grade is so close on the Alabama kid to some of the others that they say, let's take the guy that already plays right tackle and we don't ask him to switch positions. That's a possibility that could happen on draft weekend that would probably favor the Titans. So you can take one of the left tackles. Uh, but ultimately, I, I want to get to that number five spot because it's like, it should be Marvin Harrison Jr., Joe Alt, Olu Fashano. That should be picks three, four, five. So to yeah. me, that's the only way to guarantee. Exactly. And it's just a position that everyone needs. So you're competing against everyone. And that's why ultimately everything, every single reasoning we go through comes back to the Titans should take a tackle with their first pick in the draft. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. I think we went a little long on a topic that is four months away from being relevant. But you know what? It's going to dominate the conversation for the next four months. Some other things we're going to look at as we close out the season here, Justin and I are, we're going to rank all the Titans needs, positional needs. We're not just going to keep talking about wide receiver and offensive line like we have been. We're going to go through how important is it to get another edge rusher? How important is it to get a cornerback? Where does linebacker fall on this list? Where does tight end fall on this list? Because they're not super deep there either. We're going to discuss all of that as the season closes out and then as soon as the season's over we're gonna get started with free agency previews as we get deeper into draft season we're gonna have prospect breakdowns where we're weighing one guy against another not just talking about Ola Fashano and Joe Alt as like a single entity but like comparing them what are the differences what makes this guy better what makes that guy better what makes them better than the rest of the guys in the class we'll get into all of that as we get deeper and deeper and closer and closer to the draft but again still basically four months until that gets here so we have a lot of time to break it all down thank you all for listening thanks to even more to those of you who are watching make sure you're subscribed to the youtube channel the music city audible drop a comment below let us know are you rooting for the titans to win or lose as the season progresses like we want to know we want, i want to take a poll here how many people are are actually still rooting for this team to get wins because it's not me and it's not justin either all right follow justin on twitter at justin m underscore nfl you can follow me at titans film room We'll be back next week with more. Until then, y'all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.